0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech
1: tech 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 Talk. Tech 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 tech, tech 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 Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello tech talking junkies. Come on in and grab your next fix courtesy of our dealer with a bootload of the best gear in town. It's Matthew Dickerson. I hope I haven't raised too many red flags there, Matt. How's your week been?
0: Well, it's actually been pretty exciting, James. As you know, we went to the Australian Podcast Awards this week. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Good, good. (laughs) It was only a couple of nights ago, so I'm glad it hasn't completely been erased from your memory. The Uh Cream of Australia's podcasters were there in the room. It was actually yeah, it was quite exciting really to be there. Yeah. yeah, and I found it a really fascinating experience. There were a number of categories there. We're a finalist, of course, in the smartest podcast category, so which I thought, if you're going to be, chest out on that yeah, one, that's right. If you're going to be a, a finalist in any category, that sounds like a pretty good one to be there. We didn't win, unfortunately, but I still think to be one of the six finalists means that we're getting some things right. Hmm. And there were some judges there about a hundred judges that had to listen to hours, hours, upon, hours, yeah. hours of podcast. Casting information to then break down the finalists and then obviously give the winners out. But it was actually quite interesting to be there and listening to some of the people on stage, listening to the process, the background, and these people obviously were very much in the know of each other. It felt like we walked into a little club. <laughs> That's that, right. That we we're only the new, new members kids of in
1: school. <laughs> <laughs> and looking at everyone else knew everyone else. And, Seemed that way, didn't yeah.
0: they? And we didn't quite know anyone there. But <laughs> it
1: was still interesting. Oh, look, it was, yeah, wonderful to just be a part of it. and It was, yeah.
0: yeah. I found it fascinating and it also inspires me a little bit to make sure that we keep the quality of our podcast very high. I think it was a small tick we got to say your podcast quality is... Pretty high, but there might be some room for improvement there. And I'm going to listen to some of those other podcasts, some of the winners, for example, yeah. and just see how they do it, what they do better. And for a listener's perspective, then see if we can keep improving it. Again, we try and do a, an exceptional job in terms of the quality, the research, the information, the background, the delivery, all of that. But if we can make it better in any way, shape, or form, we'll obviously try and do that.
1: So we can look forward to some audio special effects then.
0: Apparently, yeah. That <laughs> seemed to be a big thing, didn't it, on the night that the, the audio sound effects, the audio technicians, the sound engineers were a big part of the podcast yeah. so yeah a little asterisk x to me there to go improve that part of it matthew <laughs> wow
1: this is going to become a real full-time job right now oh, that's no. all right <laughs> bring it on yeah that's right yeah. anyway <laughs> it's good, fun. Good, to be,
0: good to be part of it and hopefully we can keep delivering that quality content to our listeners
1: today we'll see how one lucky patient in the uk has picked up a new 3d printed eye we'll run through the best evs of 2021 and we're going to take a look at mobile checkouts for your christmas shopping but to start off, we're going to take a really serious tone with this first story. As we head into the festive season with a greater need than ever to collect our, to let our collective hair down and wash away the 2021 blues, it's a sobering thought just to know that 30% of all the fatal car accidents here in Australia have alcohol as a contributing factor. But that's small potatoes compared to the US where 28 people per day are killed on the road by drivers under the influence. That's at least one per hour, folks. No surprises that President Biden has stepped up with some legislation in response to this terrible statistic. Matthew, what has Biden done now for society where the need for unlimited freedom is responsible for literally hundreds and thousands of needless deaths?
0: It is actually quite interesting, James. When I was young and we were getting our licences, people did actually drink drive and we didn't think about it that much. Yeah. Random breath testing came in, of course, and people were more worried about losing their license than maybe injuring or killing someone. But I thought we'd gotten much better as a society where we – didn't drink drive. I don't know anyone in my circle of friends that would even contemplate getting in a car, even if they weren't sure, if they would had a couple of drinks and they Mm. thought I might be near the limit, so I won't get in the car. And I found all my kids, when they've gotten their driver's license, it's just not a question. If they're taking the car out that night, they just don't drink. You just make a
1: plan B, like the ad says.
0: Absolutely right. So it, it is surprising that people still do drink. But Biden's actually said, let's use technology to solve a problem. And I love that. I love hmm. the fact that anyone that says, let's use technology to solve a problem is on the right track because we can solve so many problems. Irresponsible humans doing silly things and injuring each other. Sure, that's bad. Maybe humans can solve that problem. No, let's technology use technology to solve that problem. So he's actually going to mandate, and he's already signed it into law. It'll take a few years to actually be implemented. But he'll, he signed into law that every new vehicle sold in America will have to have the ability for it to be alcohol-free in the driver before it can actually be driven. Now, the it's alcohol limit- is
1: amazing technology it to is, be It is, absolutely
0: that. right. Now, the alcohol limit in America is 0.08, so it might need to be modified for around the world. We're obviously 0.05 here in New South Wales, but the technology's been there. Unfortunately, what often happens is someone does some drink driving, they get- Court, They get convicted, they get another go, they get another go. And after a few goes, the judge sometimes says, you know what, you really can't be trusted with a car and alcohol. Mm. We're going to put some sort of interlocker device on your vehicle that you will pay for, and that will stop you driving it if you're over the limit, the legal limit. But Biden said... We've got that technology. Why are we going to wait until someone's been convicted a number of times mm. before we implement it? And there's two bits of technology which I actually quite like, especially when it's built into the car. The interlocker device is typically a tube that you have to breathe into to then get a clear reading, and away you go. And it can probably be circumvented relatively easily, i.e., the mm. person in the car, hey, Jimmy, just blowing this for just me. So we someone can. Someone
1: else in the car. Yeah, that's drinking.
0: right. Hey, I've got my five year old son in the car. Hey, just blowing this, and it's all okay. <laughs> There's two bits here, and what I like about them is they've tried to put enough safeguards in place that you can't just get someone sitting in the passenger seat or someone else in the car or someone outside the car to blow in there and start driving. And again, you'd question the value of that friendship if you Mm. did do that for someone. Sure, I'll do that for you so you can go and drive while you're completely loaded. What a great idea. I hope nothing happens on the way home. So, two devices. One, most modern cars have got a start button now rather than a good old-fashioned key. You stick in the ignition and turn the key. You've got a button, and you normally use your thumb or your finger to press that button and start it. They've got the ability now to use some infrared sensors in there to actually check your blood alcohol level when you press the button via your bloodstream or your sweat in your thumb. So the first thing is you press the start button, and the car will say, sorry, you seem to have an alcohol limit above .08. I'm not going to start for you. So then you say, oh, it's all right. I've got someone in the passenger seat. Just give us your hand for a second, and I'll use your hand to press the button, but There's actually a circuit that's completed between the seat and your finger and the button. And if it's not the person in that seat pressing the button, it still won't start. So you can't use someone else's finger. wow. Of course, then you say, oh, that's right. I'll jump out of the car. You jump in the car, start the car, then I'll jump in, and then away I go. But of course, then it says, oh, someone that was in the driver's seat. Now that weight has been removed Uh from the driver's seat. Someone else is in there. So then you've got to put your thumb or finger on the start button again. And of course... Oh we've detected some blood alcohol level above 0.08 so we're not going to let you keep driving the car. That's right. So that's quite clever technology. Yeah. The second one is very similar to what we see now when we get a random breath test. The old days of blowing in the tube have been long gone now. Last few times I've been random breath tested it's been talk say a series yeah. of numbers for example across a device that then obviously picks up enough in your breath to detect whether you've got a high level of blood alcohol. And it's the same sort of concept here with the vehicle, except it uses the vents in your car so that when you breathe out, it actually picks up enough of the breath and whether you've got alcohol on your breath to pick up what your level of alcohol might be. And the only minor concern I have with this is that there are times when my kids have been out and they say, okay, dad, it's two o'clock in the morning. Can you come and pick us up? Which I always say, if you need to ring me, ring yeah, me. It's okay. time. You pick them up and, of course, they say, oh, now that we know we don't have to pay for a taxi, a few of my friends want to jump in as well. So you end up with three kids Mm -hmm. in the back and one kid in the front, all slightly intoxicated and they're all breathing and I'm thinking to myself – I wonder how sensitive these vents are. I wonder if all that alcohol swirling around in the car suddenly says, oh, we're detecting a fair bit of alcohol here. This driver must (laughs) be over the influence. No, no, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe, hey, kids, wind down the window on the car while you hang your head out there and breathe those fumes (laughs) out the the windows rather than let it swirl around in the car. I'm sure they've thought of that. Mm. The sensitivity is the incredible part there, to have it so that you're not breathing right into it or right next to it, but to have it somewhere near the front of you and still pick up the blood alcohol level is quite incredible. So technology to the rescue. As I said before, it'll take about three years. It's been signed into law by Biden. Then there'll be lawmakers who'll work out the final details. Then the car manufacturers will say, we need to basically build this into the cars that we're going to release in America. But then once that happens, for many manufacturers, I would imagine they'd say, we're not going to build this model for America with these features built in and this model for the rest of the world. We may as well build it with all that built in, and maybe we can activate it or not. And I can see this being something that will roll out across the world, which is fantastic.
1: Well, it sounds logical, but this is the US. Does it come under any opposition at all? Of course, of course. Ah,
0: (laughs) You can just imagine that there are some people who are worried about things like oversight and freedoms and too much surveillance and, and a whole range of things. And again, I understand that, but this is stopping people, being incredibly irresponsible and stupid, if I can go that far. So I don't really have that big a problem about big, bad government looking over the top and, and having too much surveillance of you if you're going to be stopped from doing something stupid. There are some groups that are talking about, for example, there's a, a group called MAD, ma Mothers Against Drink Driving. They're over the moon. Now, mm. I would imagine many... Of these groups, for example, Mad, I imagine there'd be lots of those members who have lost someone close, maybe a child, for example, given the fact that it's called Mothers Against Drink Driving. They might have lost a child or they might have a child that's been injured through some drink driver out there that's injured one of their children. So you can imagine from their perspective, if this had been around when the accident happened that affected one of their children, then their child would be alive today or in much better condition than they are today. So there are lots of groups who are over the moon in excitement levels and there are some other groups who are saying, oh no, big bad government, this is illegal. You can't go and make us do this.
1: Well, when they're losing one life every 52 minutes or so um, due to this reason, I just think... um Come
0: on guys. Put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I'm sure there was opposition when seatbelts were introduced. Seatbelts, in my opinion, are the greatest safety device ever invented yeah. for the motor vehicle. And they reduced road deaths. If you look at road death graph of Australia, especially per capita graph, it's quite incredible, the drop in road deaths once seatbelts were introduced. So mm. quite incredible. So they've been law, it's illegal to get in your car and drive down the road, and people have been booked for not having a seatbelt and, on. And it
1: feels stupid if you're not wearing a seatbelt.
0: I actually, when I jump into a car, I just don't feel like I'm properly seated until I click the seatbelt and I kind of pull it tight against myself, right. and you go, oh yes, I'm, I'm in now, it's ready to go. So if it's okay to book us... If we've got no seatbelt on, surely it's okay to say you can't drive a car if you've got too much blood in, or oh, sorry, yeah, alcohol, alcohol in your, in your blood. blood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not blood in your alcohol. That's when you, <laughs> you drink way too much, too much blood in your alcohol. Cut back. <laughs> okay,
1: shopfronts have really undergone some major upheavals over the last 10 to 20 years or so. Checkouts used to be at the front door, remember? They used, um, used to have those big, noisy, clunky tills. Uh, now, there's often just a simple touch screen on a desk way out the back. Of course, there's self service checkouts. We've all seen those. I remember them uh, thinking, you know, like, that's absolutely crazy having those things there. Yeah, you know, people lose, well, sorry, the shopkeepers will lose so much money in having those self service things. But now we're looking at this Christmas, stores are introducing the mobile checkout. Matt, is this all about drawing the customer back to the store?
0: No, I think it's actually about using QR codes, because now we all know how to use QR codes. We need more ways Man. to use QR codes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is another way to use a QR There's code. There's a fear
1: that we weren't going to use them anymore. Oh, so. what are we
0: going to do then? So this is actually something that Ikea is the first store in Australia that's introduced this. And the thing that scares me the most is that Ikea say that it will save about 30 minutes on your average shopping expedition. Yeah, right. And I think, wow, how long do you spend in IKEA stores if you're going to save 30 minutes? That means you are spending (laughs) a long time to then shave 30 minutes off the time that you're shopping Uh, in the store. No
1: one goes to IKEA for less than two hours, surely. Uh,
0: Apparently. I mean, I've been to IKEA stores. I don't remember spending hours there, but apparently that's what people do. But the idea here is that they're trying to replicate the online shopping experience, and to answer your question, I think it is a way to try and get people back in the store. When you go and do some online shopping, you select an item, you click on the item, and it goes to your shopping cart. You can see your shopping cart, and you can see an update on your total anytime. time. You can remove things from your shopping cart, but no one ever does, of course. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to
1: say. <laughs> yeah. Is this a case where impulse buying is just accelerated? You know?
0: Yeah, quite possibly, but the idea here is that you will scan a QR code in, you'll have an app, you'll scan the QR code as you walk into the Ikea store in this example and you walk around the store and you say I'd like one of those you pick it up you scan it on your phone it goes into your shopping cart on your app and goes into your physical shopping trolley as you walk around and you keep doing that you've got a running total there so you can see what's my budget how close am I getting to that etc etc and then when you walk out you get to the end and you say pay exactly the way as you would do with an online shopping experience have your credit card details there you pay online and you walk out the door now I'm with you. I wonder about shoplifting, but the self-service checkout raised those same concerns with lots of people, and they didn't seem to suddenly have yeah, a it huge just hasn't amount had of the impact, No,
1: at least if it has, no one's reported about it. But no, and I yeah. think
0: in general people are honest. But there's also someone hovering there at the mobile checkout to go, "Oh, are sure. you sure those are the things in your basket? Let me have a quick look at your." dock it there wait up it seems to be much shorter than all those things there but mostly people are okay and so I imagine that there'll be someone there at the end who'll just say let's have a quick look at what you had on your phone compared to those items and if people know there's some checking being done that's probably enough incentive for them not to steal stuff maybe there'll be some people who'll just try it on and, and as it will always be people who will do that but Okay, the first one. Woolworths have all got, also got an option with a what they call scan and go. So that'll be another similar concept where you'll just scan items as you go around the store and then pay for it at the end and off you go. I just wonder about the poor kids at school who used to get their first job, their first little experience of yeah. earning some money at the checkout. It's such a simple job for them to do. They can do it after school, maybe late night shopping Thursdays, maybe weekends. What's going to happen to those kids now? Where are they going to get mm. their first little experience of earning some money and budgeting some money and being able to spend some things or some money on some things they've earned that money for?
1: Yeah, we, uh, we'll see another social revolution in that count.
0: <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, we're edging closer and closer to the paperless society. Driver's licenses and vaccine certificates are all digitised now. It seems if it's not digital, then it didn't happen. So it makes sense, Matt, that pretty much every certificate that now proves who I am should be saved on my phone. And that even includes my birth certificate.
0: Yeah and the birth certificate is a classic isn't it we used to have or we still do have a spot in our house where the birth certificates are kept because yeah. when your kids are growing up oh we need to register for soccer or netball or yep. little athletics where's your birth certificate to prove your age and of course we always had them there kids scan that in the old days or take a photo in the modern days and send it off and of course then the next time you look it's not there hold on who had this birth certificate no, last where know. is that one? We've oh no there. oh I had it in my room I just put it under some papers somewhere there I think uh. so finding the birth certificate <laughs> is always the challenge and so as you get older when you don't have your parents looking after it for you which I don't have my parents looking after mine anymore James I'm very proud of that Okay, <laughs> but when you have a, birth certificate, a physical birth certificate it's always a bit of a challenge keeping it there the New South Wales government has now said that the service New South Wales app is working so well for Our driver's licenses, and once the pandemic came along, or this pandemic came along, then suddenly it was useful in things like a vaccine certificate, things like checking in. Well, what else can we do with it? So, as of next year, you will be able to have your birth certificate in your Service New South Wales app.
1: Will will my birth certificate be all sepia toned and sort of a bit frayed at the edges (laughs) with the old? 70s type um, print that they had. I've
0: got so. I'd hope they replicate the original from, from all those years ago yeah. <laughs> with the old typewriter typing across yeah, it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just giving me that nostalgic feel about it. But, uh, yeah, and
0: so it'll be your birth certificate. That's step one. But then it'll move on to things like, for example, a diploma you might have received, a university degree, a certificate, a trade certificate, Duke of Edinburgh award, surf life-saving Awards, Surf Life Saving Awards, all those v- various certificates that are issued. And some of those seem like they're a bit bigger than just state. Issued. For example, university degrees aren't issued by the state, they're issued by a university but backed by the federal government. So some of those things that are a bit wider, a bit broader than just the state, but they're still being fed into a state based app, which makes a lot of sense. At some point, I expect that. The federal government will say, why are the states running different certificates or, sorry, different apps in different states? Maybe we should just consolidate that into one because why Mm. in New South Wales do you go across the border to Queensland and then suddenly you've got a different app or will that app be accepted in that particular state? So it seems like a federal approach is needed. The last thing I think that'll be really tricky for them is they've talked about even getting to the point where your passport is available digitally on some app whether it be service new south wales or whatever it might be but i just think then apart from being the federal government involved you want other countries involved wow imagine flying into a country where maybe they're not as friendly as we might hope them to be and you say oh here's my app here's my passport and they just laugh at you and say where's your passport (laughs) you're not coming to this country without your real passport
1: Back to departures for you. That's right. Yeah, and maybe um, maybe you could get some stamps all over your phone as well.
0: That's right. <laughs> just go self selfie and stamp that phone so you don't crack my screen. <laughs> but it is interesting to see all of these things happening. And they're happening, I think, very quickly. And again, we've talked about COVID-19 has increased our uptake in technology in a whole range of areas. This is another one of those because I just don't think – I mean, the driver's licences were in before COVID-19 came along. So that had already started. But the uptake was fairly low. It was a few trials were rolled out and a few people were trying it, and that was okay. But now we're at the point where we've got around two-thirds of people in New South Wales have got their driver's license on their phone now. So that's been much higher. Pretty rapid. Yeah, much higher than I ever would have thought it would have been if there hadn't been a pandemic popped along. Hmm.
1: Well, it also saves you having to carry around that bit of plastic as well that takes up space and it makes your phone case swell out. (laughs) That's right. Got a big fat thing in my pocket there that uh, you just got to carry around with you, all your credit cards and stuff, getting rid of all that.
0: Exactly right. And it is at the point now where it's very rare for me to leave my home with anything other than my phone. Often Mm. my watch is enough to get me by for most things, but your phone, typically you've got your credit cards, you've got your driver's license, you've got the things that you need to do most things in society. I do have a problem with motels. Some motels still struggle when they do the pre-booking. They want a credit card to do that pre-booking rather than a tap with a phone or a tap with a watch. So I've been stuck with that sometimes before where I've actually had to pay for everything before I started and then they credit some back and it gets a bit complicated. So that's the only area where maybe motels have just got to fine-tune that digital revolution.
1: And well, I guess we're going to see if it's not digitised. Then it didn't happen.
0: Exactly right. Mm.
1: Social media platforms are the feeding grounds for trolls. We all know that. Of course they are. A troll can pretend to be as big and brave and dangerous as a T-Rex without any risk on their own personal well-being. And anyone on the planet can be a target. It's a coward's paradise out there, yet it's so destructive to anyone who isn't 100% Teflon-coded. So our PM is stepping up the plate And uh, he's got a proposal to implement defamation laws to force social media platforms to expose these parasites. A step in the right direction, Matt, but uh, is it even within the realm of possibility?
0: Well, the Australian government has taken on some social media platforms recently. We know about the issue with news, actually paying for some of the news that social media sites were using, and the federal government dug their heels in on that. And finally, they got a victory for those news outlets, the organisations that are providing the news for those social media platforms. So well done to the Australian government with that one. This one's an interesting one, and I'll just quote from the Prime Minister. And he said, The online world should not be a Wild West where bots and bigots and trolls and others are anonymously going around and can harm people. This is not what can happen in the real world, and there is no case for it to be able to be happening in the digital world. And I think he's got a really good point there. You don't walk up to someone on the street and start calling you names and start making all these wild allegations about you Mm. and then have a little mask on that says, oh, you don't know who it is. So you, you have no idea who this is calling you all these names and saying these terrible things about you. But then more than that, amplifying that so it's not just me saying it to you i go into your party and tell you and a hundred of your closest friends out to everyone exactly right and that's the issue keyboard warriors that's right so the the legislation that is trying to be introduced here is all around the social media company having to expose the identity so when you go on and you say bigots are us and you want to go out and make all sorts of wild defamatory comments and someone says you know what i really don't like what you've said there and i don't think it's right i want to actually sue you which ultimately is what often happens with these things Mm. then oh, who are you going to sue you're going to sue this random name with no identity behind it but the social media organization needs to reveal that if there is a defamation case that might be brought forward now the big question here is does the social media company know who that person is behind there? Because you can so easily go and create a fake profile. I've got people that I know that, f- that boast to me about the 30 or 40 different fake profiles I've got because they try and influence a narrative. Yeah. So the next step will be if this legislation is at the point where the social media companies go, wow, we're going to have to deliver this whole idea that the Australian government's asking for, we've got to make sure we know who these people are because it's no good us saying, oh, here you go, here's how they registered and they go, well that email address is just a dodgy one that's been made up and you've got no way of knowing who it is. So they'll have to change the registration process. Now, imagine what they'll do is they'll have some sort of process where you'll only be able to do it, for example, with a mobile phone. They'll get a text message that you go back and link to because it's very difficult to get a mobile phone and be anonymous. You've got to have mm. some form of proof of ID to create a mobile phone so you don't get burner phones, as they would call them in the movies. So there might be that, there might be an email, but an email address is pretty easy to create people, i have different email addresses for legitimate reasons or for nefarious reasons. So I think this will be the challenge for the social media companies. They may not want to play ball with the Australian government again, but if they do say, well, okay, we're happy to play ball, what do they do to their processes to make sure that there are legitimate people behind these things that are happening? Now, I know, for example, they've changed some of the rules around political advertising. If you want to go and do any advertising from a political perspective – You've got to prove your identity and it takes maybe a week or two to prove your identity and you've got to upload documents, legitimate ID documents, driver's licenses, passports, that type of thing. And some people are a bit uncomfortable saying, I'm uploading my really confidential ID, my driver's license number, my date of birth, all sorts of information.
1: Not entirely sure where it's going.
0: Yeah, social media company, we can trust them, can't we? (laughs) So it's a whole range of things. I'm not sure if the Australian government understands the can of worms that's being opened up here. But I think it's a good move how it's implemented. I've got some question marks around that. I don't know how accurately, how reliably it will be implemented. And then someone sues someone and then the social media company reveals that it's actually Donald Duck behind the scenes. Mm. So.
1: Yeah, accountability, though, it changes everything. It changes all about you know, the way we act. So yeah. I just think... Um, Yeah, there's got to be a level of accountability there.
0: If you go back to the really olden days when we had newspapers and printed newspapers, and look it up if you're not familiar with that sort of concept, (laughs) but if you sent a letter to the editor, you had to send in your name, your address, your details about yourself, not full details about yourself, but something. Now, I don't know that those newspapers ever went to that address and knocked on someone's door to see if that person really existed there, but it just made people think oh, if Mm. I'm going to put my name and address to this, I better be confident with what I'm saying. Now, they didn't publish your name and address. They would always say, address withheld. And it was just a way for the newspaper to to have some safeguard there, there was someone legitimate behind it rather than people creating all these fake names and sending them in. But every now and again, they would go and look at that address and they'd found that address was the rubbish dump or mm. some address that didn't exist, for example. But that was kind of a little bit of a way for newspapers to have some legitimacy behind the comments that were made. This is probably something similar. It may not be perfect, but it may just put some little blockage there before people would just go crazy.
1: Well, that's all right. It's going to make a change from the floodgates that are <laughs> open currently. Yeah. Exactly. Analog clocks, folks. Do you know any kids who can't read them? I certainly do. I'm not convinced that my own offspring would get it right 100% of the time. And anything is easy of practice enough, sure. But that particular skill, reading analog clocks, is dating pretty badly these days. I reckon my boys uh, and their mates would probably argue that reading analog clocks is not easy. Well, it's taken quite a bit to teach the artificial intelligence software, hasn't it, Matt?
0: It has indeed, and I'm with you. I've got one of my children in particular who just doesn't seem to know how to read an analog clock. And just the subtleties of the hour hand and the minute Mm. hand, especially when they're similar lengths, and then using some common sense, dare I say it, to work out, oh, that couldn't be right with that hour hand or that minute hand there and there, so it must be the other way around. That's all interesting, but it's a skill that kids are losing.
1: Well, there's some thinking there that's got to really happen. <laughs> You've got to do some computation as you just glance there at the clock. Yeah. Of course, we can do it because we were brought up with that. But, uh,
0: yeah. And throw the second hand in and that's another <laughs> whole doozy in there, isn't it? But at least it's moving a bit faster, so you can normally work that one out.
1: But yeah, it's it's, it's becoming much less of a common skill.
0: It is, absolutely Right. Some researchers at the University of Oxford wanted to work on that whole concept, not because they thought it was a skill that was being lost by kids, so they needed someone else to do it. It was really an experiment to see whether or not they could get some artificial intelligence to not only just read a clock, but to use some of those subtle, contextual items to work out exactly what time it was. Mm. And they haven't got it quite right yet. They've got an accuracy level of about 74 to 84% on average, which is probably better than my daughter, to be honest. (laughs) But they've got this whole concept where they've fed lots of pictures of analogue clocks. They've fed them at different angles. They've fed them at different times, with, again, those hour and minute hands and different clock faces that have similar length hour and minute hands. I don't know if they put Mickey Mouse faces in there as well and had (laughs) the arms of Mickey Mouse going around. But with all that information... They've been able to get the artificial intelligence to get it right. As I said, that's 74 to 84% of the time. But it's really a tick next to how far we can start to go with AI, how far we can get to the point where you can bring other information into that idea, that thinking idea, mm. that idea that you're using extra information and feeding that into just a real picture. And so they look at the picture and they go, well, hold on, I know that that and that don't go together and that's how it should look. Therefore, that's the exact time back obviously, in a digital format.
1: Well, artificial intelligence is an industry that's really growing in leaps and bounds. Um, and and when you think about it, reading an analog clock, it, it, it's predictable. So there's patterns there that, that should be predictable. So yeah. we should be getting be able to get AI to to read a clock. However, <laughs> we, as we're seeing, it's not that easy.
0: Yeah, it is pretty difficult. And this is all about just trying to develop AI in a whole range of different areas. It might be something that's developed here in teaching a computer to read a clock that then is used to make a car drive properly Mm. because it's all about those subtle things. And what I love, James, is that we are really intelligent, not just you and I, but (laughs) we know that, but the (laughs) the whole human race is actually really intelligent. And the things that go on in our minds are quite clever. And if we look at a clock, because most clocks that are analog don't have AM or PM on it, We don't realise, but we're vaguely aware whether we're in daytime or nighttime. And if we see 2 o'clock on an analogue clock, we're pretty good at working out whether it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., mostly because we're probably asleep at 2 (laughs) a.m., but we know that that's just one little thing that we don't have to think about. We don't go, There's
1: ambient light around the place and you can can sense. Yeah, Yeah, we
0: don't say, oh, it's 2 on there. Gee, I wonder if that's a.m. or p.m. It's not a thought process that happens because we just do it naturally. And the same with the minute and the hour, and we understand positions of where they should be and where they can't be because of the way the gears on a clock would work. Mm. So we just feel information in without thinking about any of that, we just give an answer. And that's usually the right answer for most of us, not our kids, but <laughs> apparently. <laughs> but all of that shows just how hard it is to mimic the human, br- human brain. And that's what they're trying to do with artificial intelligence is to take some of that stuff in the human brain and take all the good things out of a computer, which is remembering stuff really accurately, getting stuff to be able to be recalled very accurately, mm. but then adding in the subtleties of the human experience, that's the ultimate aim for AI.
1: And if they can get it, if something as predictable as reading an analogue clock right, one hundred, well, 99% <laughs> of the time, then we can start to move on with things that are slightly less predictable, yeah. um, reading other factors of the environment. Yeah, that's right. Um, which, which we're doing to degrees in other fields, but yeah... Uh, Artificial intens- intelligence is a really, really interesting field right now.
0: It is absolutely right. And again, I see the first example, we'll see if that is with cars, but then you might start to look at medicine. Lots mm. of researchers working on results and looking at those results and see what they mean. AI with the right inputs can say, well, have you thought about joining these three dots together and ending with this solution? And well, humans go, wow,
1: that was great. Combinations of symptoms, subtle or you know, or really unsubtle, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, And again, that... that ability for a computer to recall so much data, whereas a human, you go and see the doctor and say, hey, doc, I've got this little spot on my arm. Mm. The doctor is, without realising it, going through all this information in their head to say, well, in all the study I've done and all the information I've got and all the potential problems I see with that, this is what it could possibly be. But a computer doing all of that, recalling all the information out there and then adding in a bit of AI, wow, the ability to diagnose a problem would be incredible.
1: Yeah. Not trying to
0: do doctors out of a job at the moment.
1: (laughs) 3D printing is a modern marvel. We all know that. Uh, We've gone now well past trinkets and ornaments, though. Uh, We're talking about printing houses now and infrastructure in past episodes. 3D printing is all about machine parts and prosthetics these days. Well, get a load of this now, folks. A British man has just received the first prosthetic eyeball. Matt Steve Austin, the six million dollar man out of the seventies, just got a whole lot cheaper, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I don't know how much his eye is worth actually, but probably not six million (laughs) dollars. But it doesn't have the cool noises like Steve Austin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the ones. Yeah, 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 that's right. Loved it.
0: But with someone with a prosthetic eye, and unfortunately, it doesn't replace the eye. It doesn't work. It's still a prosthetic. But someone normally having an eye that was made to put in. The place of their real yeah, the eye. A glass eye, yeah. A glass eye, yeah. There's so much work that goes on with hand painting it and trying to get the subtleties right to make mm. it look like it's a normal eye because people don't really want to highlight the fact that one eye doesn't really work at all and the other eye is okay. They want to just go on society and have people treat them normally. But this prosthetic eye, the idea here is it will take a photo or they'll take a photo and a scan of your good eye and then feed that into some AI and let it print, 3D print an eye that is so close to the real one that they showed it to people, the the real eye and the prosthetic eye, and they couldn't tell the difference most of the time. They were just identical. So you're looking at someone, they've got their fake eye in, and people are just treating them normally rather than saying, oh, wow, what's the problem with your eye? Why does that eye look so different to the other eye? Again, part of the thing with 3D printing is we've talked about big things like houses, as you mentioned, little things. One of the great things about it is they can do them quickly, but they can also do them Customise So they can say, we'll take a scan of this eye and then 3D print that eye and it'll be just that eye, just for that person. Next eye comes along and it'll do the same thing. In the old way, it would have been a standard eye that they then, as they hand paint or try and get as close as possible to the real eye, but never quite the same. So this particular gentleman, 47-year-old over in England, he basically had the first prosthetic 3D printed eye. And he's out there wearing it now, using it, and he thinks it's absolutely wonderful. So it's, uh, it's a big breakthrough. And I think we'll see more and more prosthetics being printed 3d printed we know that people have bits and pieces of their body 3d printed all the time
1: it's, it's just amazing this field uh, as far as prosthetics go uh, and, and it's exciting to see what is possible uh, yeah. to replace body parts
0: yeah now having said all that it still takes a couple of weeks to produce this yeah. but that's much better the old eyes would take at least six weeks sometimes a couple of months to produce but this still takes a couple of weeks to feed that data in get all that information from go to whoa it's it's a couple of weeks but that's so much better and again they don't have to do much with it afterwards because it's done it's 3D printed it's mm. ready to go
1: and um, if it needs replacing or if you need multiples or whatever you can uh, I guess just work off the same program and, yeah, uh, yeah
0: presumably all the information is still stored there yeah. if it gets damaged or something happens for whatever reason I'm not sure if prosthetic eyes need to be replaced on a regular basis i don't actually know anyone with a prosthetic eye so i haven't really talked to anyone about it but if it was something like that then i imagine it would be hey I can order a new one sure thing it'll be there in the mail next week
1: wow uh, have you been planning a trip to antarctica but the slow internet always held you back me too matt the good news is in though an undersea cable is going to bring speedy internet all the way to sunny antarctica i believe
0: Absolutely right. And it is something that we've talked about before. We talked about in the UK, £5,000 difference for a house with digital fibre connected to the house compared to not digital fibre. Mm. We didn't go into how much cheaper houses were if there was no internet connection there. In fact, no internet connection to the whole continent. So I reckon housing in Antarctica is pretty cheap at the moment <laughs> <laughs> based on the internet connection alone. At the moment, though, if you look at a map of undersea data cables across the world, there are 436 cables under the oceans of the world, joining various continents it's together.
1: 2021. I wonder what that's going to look like in 2030, 2040. Oh, it is
0: amazing. And it wasn't that long ago. When I was not very old, I'm talking a couple of years old, my eldest brother moved to America. And we used to have phone conversations with him because I didn't know him very well. By the time I was old enough to remember things, he was already gone. So you'd have conversations where you'd say, hi, Phil, and then you'd wait because it would go via satellite, and then you'd think he hadn't heard you. Are you there, Phil? Meanwhile, he'd started answering you. Yeah, I'm here, Matt. And it was a very stilted stilted, conversation until you learnt how to have an overseas conversation. And you didn't go quite as far as saying over, like a two-way radio (laughs) might, uh, but you got to that point where you made definite stops so that people knew that you'd finished. Obviously, that was going up and down, 36,000 kilometres up and down geostationary satellites, Mm -hmm. but then they started laying undersea telecommunications cables, and suddenly it was much quicker to go... Fourteen thousand kilometres direct, rather than thirty-six thousand kilometres up and down. Yeah, it's and an amazing technology, ha- and and
1: just to think that you can have a cable that runs between here and the US. Yeah,
0: it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't have those big bores, those big that, um, large amount of latency there. Obviously, with internet, you got lots of data cables running around, and we're not talking so much about phone conversations, but that still happens. But it's all this data that's running around the world. And so Antarctica has missed out on this. That's been the big issue here. They haven't really had the demand, the population demand in Antarctica.
1: Not enough Antarcticans.
0: No, that's it. You need more of those to actually demand this. But you do have a lot of research that goes on in Antarctica. And one of the problems is when people go to Antarctica, scientists typically doing research down there, their results, when they want to upload them, some of them are very large data sets, you try and upload that via satellite, it's not very good, and they start using up all their available bandwidth, and so they often will just leave them in Antarctica on, say, an external hard drive, for example, maybe with memory sticks, which sounds a bit scary and dangerous, but <laughs> but those sort of devices, and they physically then bring it back to wherever they've come from to then upload those results and publish those results, etc. and then people look at that and go hold oh, on, this is months old. You were there months ago. This is old news now. So getting that information up to date and relevant now would be very important. The other thing is when people go down there to do some of the research, it's pretty lonely. And so they try doing some phone calls or some Zoom calls, but you always feel like you're a half going. a second behind yeah. in those Zoom calls. So you feel a bit out of the loop. And so I think people down there go, you know what? I just give up. I'm not going to even worry about doing it. Guess what, guys? I'm just out of touch for a couple of months. I'll see you in a couple months' time. Mm. This would be huge to actually get to the point where you had a decent undersea cable where you could have low latency, high-speed internet connections, upload those results, have people keep in touch. It's enough for me to get excited enough to say, I'm going to book a holiday there soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, we're living in an age of, need it here, I need it now, and it's got to be instantaneous. And um, yeah. Well, one of the, yeah, There's no escape from that.
0: One of the jokes that some of the, the scientists that have been there has, uh, have said is that on the International Space Station, you actually have better internet connections than Antarctica. <laughs> so surely, and there's not a big cable that runs up at the International Space Station, so no, surely no. we can do better than that. And hopefully we will, and it won't be too long before we'll see them connected.
1: The 2021 News Corp Electric Car of the the Year finalists have been revealed. And Matt, this is big news for two reasons. Number one, we get a deeper insight into which EV to buy. And number two, News Corp are rating EVs as something better than a passing fad these days. That's fantastic.
0: It is fantastic. And the really exciting part is they've actually got their own category. News Corp have normally done... Car of the Year, they've got different categories, SUVs, hatchbacks, runarounds, whatever it might be, normal sort of categories you see in any Car of the Year awards, but they've now got to the point, finally, where they've said there are enough EVs in the country that will have their own category. And then the winner of that category goes in against all the other fi- uh, finalists in all the other categories to see the car of the year, the oh, overall car wow. of the year. Yeah, okay. So before I do reveal the five finalists. The
1: winds of change are blowing. It's great to see. Oh, it is.
0: And and they'll happen very quickly, James, without a doubt. One of the things that's disappointing is there's no Tesla in this final five. Oh. And they did explain that. Given the fact that you've got one manufacturer that sells sixty percent of the electric vehicles in this nation, you can understand that they might be accused of some sort of bias if they don't include a Tesla in there. But it's all about the cars that have come out in the year and they obviously have a definition of when that year starts and finishes. So Tesla didn't have a new model that came out in that year. So they said even though they saw 60% of the models that are sold in this nation, well, it didn't actually qualify for the criteria to actually have a new car in that year.
1: Wow. Yeah. So they had to make a bit of a deal about that, yeah? Uh, They did. Almost an apology.
0: Well, exactly right, because people would look at that list and they'd say, well, hold on, none of those are good as... My Tesla, and everyone's buying a Tesla, why aren't they in there? So they did actually make mention of that. And I don't know, there'd be many times in any car magazine, any car rating, where they'd actually make special mention of a vehicle they're excluding from the judging process. (laughs) So it does give you a bit of an indication of just how popular the Tesla is. Well,
1: Tesla fans are big Tesla fans, aren't they? You're either uh, in Camp Tesla or you're not.
0: They are uh, zealot is the word that I've yeah, heard zealot, there around. Yeah, There you go.
1: That'll do me. <laughs> and yep. that's not a
0: bad thing. Sometimes anyway. it takes some zealots to move opinions forward. So we'll talk about the first, the five that are in there. I won't go into detail about them. We... We might do something special one day about EVs. Have a whole, maybe a whole bonus episode cool. about EVs. Looking forward to that. Yeah, something like that. But for these ones, I just want to talk about the actual names. So the Hyundai Ionic Five is one of the five finalists. No relation there to the number five. But Hyundai has actually been going well with a couple of different models coming out in EV. So that's one of the finalists. Polestar Two Single Motor is one of the finalists. Now Polestar is Volvo's EV offshoot. Volvo see enough. I suppose growth in the whole area of EVs that they've actually got their whole offshoot there so they all actually have Volvo EVs and Polestar EVs and Volvo's actually made the final assist as well so Volvo's <laughs> got two bites <watches> of <laughs> the cherry here Volvo's got their XC40 Recharge pure electric which is a little compact SUV so that's one of the finest as well you've got the Nissan Leaf E plus now my daughter's got a Nissan Leaf not the E plus the E plus basically is a longer range version of the Leaf I've I owned a Leaf many years ago, the first version of the Leaf. I thought it was quite a good little town runaround, and my daughter loves her Leaf. She calls it Leafy Weefy. She's got a little label for her keys <laughs> hanging up in the office with the Leafy Weefy on it. And the last one is the Porsche Taycan Turbo S, which I find really interesting because they still have the Turbo name or the Turbo moniker in there, even though the Turbo obviously refers to a device that attaches to a an internal combustion engine. I just think they've used the word turbo in there. It's got people, good
1: implications. It
0: does. It does. It seems like that's fast. It's a turbo. <laughs> or oh, you've got an EV. Have you got a turbo EV? Oh, yes, I've got a Porsche Taycan turbo EV. So that's one of the ones in on the list as well. A fair bit of variety in there, a fair bit of variety in prices. I know you're talking about probably anywhere in the range from, say, $50,000 up to, or oh, maybe $350,000 for the Porsche. Yeah, so a bit of range out my in there. Range. We'll keep you up to date in there in terms of what's happening with there when they announce the winner of that. Another different magazines or different organisations that have their final scheme towards the end of the year, they might have some winners of different categories. The other one I wanted to mention was Lexus and Toyota. I know we've talked about the fact they're finally coming to the party and saying we might actually get onto this EV train because it seems like it's still going ahead, not just a little passing fad. But Range anxiety is still a problem. And we've talked about different solutions for range anxiety. Sometimes it's just bigger, throw a whole big battery into a car or better charging, faster charging, a little zip charge unit that we've talked about previously. But Lexus has come up with a different concept. They've come up with the Encore Platinum program, which is a standard Lexus. I've owned Lexus vehicles before, and you get some extra features being part of the Encore program. This particular EV comes with a little extra where they want to solve range anxiety in a different way. They want you to buy the Lexus EV to drop your kids off to school to do some little short trips around. But if you want to go on that big holiday where you load up the car and you say, kids, we're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning because we are going to drive for 10 hours and get to that destination, then it might be a bit of a hassle doing that in the EV. So that might put people off buying it. What they've done is they've said, you can come along and for eight days a year, you can just do a swap. You can hand over your EV and we'll give you a petrol version of a Lexus. Oh. Probably a hybrid one, I'd say, but one that you can jump in and drive like a good old-fashioned car. So if you're going to drive that 10-hour trip once a year, and let's face it, people say to me, oh, how am I going to drive that 1,000 kilometres on my holiday? And I go, how can you do that? Well, once a year, maybe. maybe. So are you going yeah. to buy a car that's good 51 weeks of the year and a bit inconvenient for one week of the year, or I'll buy it for that one week of the year? So Lexus has said, buy a car that's good for 51 weeks of the year, And we'll lend you a car for that other week of the year that you want to use it. So the program will give you four times a year, you can borrow it, and you can do it for a total of eight days over the year. So if it's one trip that you're doing for a week, going on holiday somewhere, if it's a couple of times a year you've got to do that long trip that you might need a, a car that's not the inconvenience, if you want to call it that, I don't want to say the word inconvenient, but that little slight cumbersome idea of charging up somewhere as you drive along, then this might be a way to get around that range anxiety.
1: Well, it just um, it blows me away that, that these people have got, uh, well, they've got ideas away around problems. And that's that's excellent um, business sense to to use a, a simple exchange to to get past that one week in the year or one, two weeks in the year that you're going to need a, a yeah, petrol yeah. motor. Well, the
0: cynic in me might say they've obviously brought out an EV with not enough range, but that's, <laughs> that's uh-huh. a different way of approaching it. Yeah.
1: Working from home. Some people have had enough. The cabin fever was way too much and they're back to the office to stay. But others found their workplace sanctuary in the home office and are a bit reluctant for the return. They're opting to work from home as much as possible and that makes it a little tricky for bossy... uh, I'm going to start that again. Working from home. Some people have had enough. The cabin fever for them was way too much and they're back in the office to stay. But others found their workplace sanctuary in the home office as... they're a little bit reluctant to return. They're opting for work at home as much as possible, and that makes it a little trickier for bosses to supervise. Or does it?
0: Mm, depends. The boss you've this got. This one's
1: for the paranoid. <laughs>
0: That's right. And it depends what they're using. Now, you might get bosses who want to just have a little bit of a look at things, and then they find there's some software they can use to have a bit more of a look at things, and then they get a bit out of control. And there was a sampling done of employee monitoring programs, and there's a digital rights group called Electric, oh, sorry, Electronic Frontier Foundation. They found that nine out of ten products that it reviewed could be made invisible to the people being monitored. So you oh. might have your workplace-issued notebook and they say, James, here, you're a valuable employee, take this notebook home and you can use it at home. And Just stay at home and work if you like. And you say, that's fantastic, thank you very much. I wouldn't mind staying at home a little bit. Unbeknownst to you, they might just keep a bit of an eye on things. Now, how are they going to do that? What are the things, what are the tools they're going to use? The first one is just tracking work time on your computer. Now, they might see in the office that you spend five hours a day on the computer and then you're at home and you're spending two hours a day. And they might say, James, we don't think you're being as productive as you were. You're not spending much time on the computer. Can you increase that time a bit? Or conversely, let's be on the employer side here for a moment. You might be spending 10 hours a day on the computer and they say, James, you're working too hard at home. Just take a bit of a break. Take it easy. So that's one that you think, well, That's pretty harmless. It's just a bit of time being tracked. So I can live with that. That's okay. The next thing they might do is they might log keystrokes. Now, again, at a simplistic level, they might say, James, in the office, you did 25,000 keystrokes a day. Now, at home, you're doing many more or many less than that. But the scarier part is not just counting keystrokes. They can log keystrokes. But tracking your
1: keystrokes.
0: So that can mean when you go into your banking software and type in a password, that password could be fed. Every keystroke could be fed through to your employer. When you sit there on your email and say, I want to send off a really angry email to my boss, and you type it in and then go, I feel better about now. I won't click send. I'll just delete it. The boss might have seen every one of those keystrokes (laughs) that you typed there. So that starts to get a bit scary, a bit creepier. And I don't think bosses have a lot of time to sit there and look at every keystroke, but maybe some do. So that's a bit scary. Then they might start saying, well, all your emails go through the work email system. We'll just go and take a sampling of those emails, look at those We might start monitoring every app or every website you do, every website you look at. I'm sure most of the time it's innocent, but if you spend eight hours a day on Facebook, on some sort of social media site, your boss might want to question that. But then when they start looking at the sites you're going to, you're going to anti-vaxxer sites all day. What do you really (laughs) want to say about the vaccination policy of our company? So there's things there that you start to get... All your
1: sites have gotten the backing of QAnon or something like that. That's right. right,
0: yeah. So there's those things there and you just start feeling like, I really don't want my boss looking at everything I do. I'm not doing anything wrong, but I just feel like someone's sitting there over my shoulder the whole time. And then it starts to get even creepier. There's a program in particular that will take a screenshot, a random screenshot from your computer or at random times, more accurately. And so it might be every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every set amount of time during the day. And then at the end of the day, your boss gets a little... Video, 30 second video of your random screenshots during the day. <laughs> so if you're unlucky and you spend all day working and you only spent that one minute on that porn site, that might be the time when the snapshot goes through to your boss and, and then, then they start thinking, Well, boss is
1: looking over your shoulder and wondering why there's so much skin. That's exactly
0: right. <laughs> it's a bit like your boss just happens to walk behind your computer going, Oh, what was that site I saw? I don't want to see that sort of stuff.
1: Which is fine if you're working from a tan- tanning salon, but uh, you're probably not doing a lot of time on the computer if you're in a tanning not that yeah. yeah.
0: And then the last one is where it just goes to creep level infinity. <laughs> activating <laughs> it gets worse. activating your webcam. So you're oh, sitting there innocently right. working away. And meanwhile, the boss goes, I'm just gonna check in on James and have a look what he's up to. He checks in on James and you're sitting there working away studiously. He says, That's great. But then it might be nighttime. It might be the family sitting around having dinner, and next thing you know, the webcam on your notebook sitting across on the side shelf of the Office, otherwise known as the kitchen, is sitting there and they're watching your family having dinner or they're watching your family uh, watching a movie or whatever it mm. might be that you and your wife and your family they're get just up to. Watching your family. Yeah, mm. so that's the one there. Now, sure, it's probably only going to be relevant during work hours, but these programs, it's not like you turn it on during work hours and turn it off because you don't even know it's there. You don't even know it's sitting in the background monitoring what you're doing, listening. We're assuming to what you're doing. a
1: good relationship with your boss, but then yeah. if your boss is checking your webcam, perhaps the relationship isn't so good.
0: That's right. And it might be all innocent. It might be, I just want to keep an eye on things. Make sure you're not working too hard. Make sure you're doing some active work. Make sure you're being productive. But I think I really want to know about the sort of (laughs) stuff that was going on before those things happened. So I want to work from home, Mr. Boss, but can you just tell me what you're going to do about monitoring my productivity?
1: I wonder how many people are now going to go into the office instead.
0: (laughs) Maybe that's part of the plot. (laughs) It's just easier. (laughs) Actually, I put my hand up. I've been paid by all those employers out there trying to get people back into work. That's it. You've caught (laughs) me.
1: (laughs) And on that note, folks, it's time to pull up stumps on yet another episode of Tech Talk. Thanks for joining us again. And we hope that you're not too paranoid now about how many keystrokes you just made on your work laptop yesterday. Thanks again, Matt, for another super sneak peek for the future.
0: And look, I just want to say there for all those employees out there, I think your boss is okay if you listen to Tech Talk during work time, because obviously valuable information you can use in your workplace.
1: A lot to be gleaned out of that. And it's been a, ple- a pleasure chatting once again. I'm James Eddy, and I hope you can tune in again next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you worked out how to do it.